Hello, friends, and welcome back to another great and phenomenal episode of Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. As usual, I am here today with Dr. Linda Marcus, and we have a very amazing and important topic to cover today. And it's a topic that comes up to me as a provider all of the time, patients experiencing acid reflux and wanting to know what to do about the symptoms and what they can do. And actually, a lot of times I find that patients are already self-medicating by the time they come and see me. So we will be talking about the dangers of acid reflux, GERD, and what you need to know about PPI therapy. And we have a special guest, Dr. Matt Lewis, joining us today from Tampa. Dr. Linda, how are you today? Hello, I'm great. Happy Wednesday. Yes, happy Wednesday. Yeah, getting ready for the holidays. How are you doing with that? Is Are you all prepared or... 90%? I'm actually almost done with my Christmas shopping list. So that's very exciting. Usually I'm kind of running around last minute and this year I'm like way more prepared. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling good about that. And you get to Christmas shop this year in the sunshine instead of the snow, right? In that cold weather that you used to oh live in. So I went to the outlet mall like last week. I'm like, what is this? I'm, I'm loving the weather. I'm loving mm -hmm. the life in Arizona. It's so amazing and yes i did my christmas shopping on an outlet mall so that was pretty cool <laughs> yeah outdoors so yeah. that's awesome yeah same here you know it's nice it's beautiful and very very grateful but i'm really excited about um our guest today because i get a lot of questions as well being in practice with you know oh i have this burp up so i'll just take a tums or you know, people um, that are on the standard American diet, of course, and most of them are when they come to see you and they come to see me and especially Dr. Matt. So we're going to, um, you know, get into what is GERD and so forth. But I wanted to introduce our guest today, um, Dr. Matt Lewis. He is um, a chiropractic physician. He's also a certified functional medicine practitioner, and he's been in practice for over 20 years. And I know he's spent a lot of his time not just adjusting, but now I think he's more focused on the clinical aspect of nutrition because food is medicine. And so it's exciting that, you know, he, he thinks like us. <laughs> so it's great to um, have him on, you know, because a lot of us docs as functional medicine practitioners, what people don't know is those type of doctors look for the root cause. They sit down with you. They ask you a lot of questions. They go through a systems-based approach and, now, that's what Doc does with a lot of his patients, and he sees everything from patients with hormonal imbalance, anxiety, depression, digestive disorders, and a lot of the chronic diseases that are plaguing our country right now. So really excited to have him on, and because of all the changes with how we're um you know, with people how are coming into doctor's offices or not coming in, you know, he's kind of think had a head start with doing telemedicine. So that's what's great about having him on because he's still able to help a lot of patients all over the country. So um, let's bring on the doc and excited to have him from um, Tampa, Florida. Yes. Hi. Louis, how are you Hi, doing? Fernanda, Linda, Dr. Linda, thank Hi. you so much for having me. Happy um, Wednesday. Yes, happy Wednesday. We're halfway through. Yes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Matt Lewis, can you introduce yourself to the audience and just kind of let us know a little bit about what you do uh, in your own words, please? Sure. Thank you. So I'm Dr. Lewis, and I've been practicing functional medicine and clinical nutrition over the last 20 years. Um, in my practice, um, like Dr. Linda said, I see all kinds of patients with hormonal imbalances, a lot of digestive issues. Um, and just chronic health conditions that they're not seeming to find answers to in the conventional system. So um, in a nutshell, that's what I do. I consult with people and then try to find them solutions. Wonderful, wonderful. And just let's, let's get right on the topic of the gastrointestinal system. Can you tell us a little bit about the GI function? How does it function? Yeah, so GI system obviously is so important to your health. That's where you're going to absorb your nutrients, right? Um, that's the beginning of everything, right? Because you need to take those nutrients um, and you need to digest them. And then they need to, I always tell my kids, you know, the almond butter and jelly, because I try to avoid the peanut butter, but the almond butter and jelly that you eat becomes your 
your brain becomes your hand cells, you know, your skin, right? So um, we are what we eat, we digest and absorb, right? And then we have to eliminate. All that's part of the digestive system. So, um, you know, I, in, I like to try to keep it simple, but your digestive system is also very important in its relationship to the brain. There's a communication there. And we know now, uh, based on a lot of different studies and uh, neuroendocrinology, that the digestive system and the brain are connected and your digestive system is really kind of like your second brain, maybe the first brain, <laughs> but they're definitely interacting with each other, right? So that would mean basically that everything that we're eating will impact the way that we think. Yeah, I think, you know, look, I'm biased. I've been spent 20 years practicing nutrition and giving people nutritional advice. And so what I've seen is when you change a person's diet, you literally change your life, right? And anybody who's lost a lot of weight knows this. Anyone who's tried different diets knows that they can feel different depending on what they eat. But we sort of lost sight of that in medicine. So absolutely, what you eat is just so important. It's such a basic factor in your health, but it also is important about how you digest that, right? So you could be eating really well, maybe you're not digesting well, maybe you're not absorbing well, maybe you're not eliminating well, your bowel movements aren't normal. Um, so any problem anywhere down from the upper GI all the way to your excretion, uh, the lower GI can be an issue for your health. So you want to be healthy. Uh, if you want to prevent illness, we always look to the digestive system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, a quote by Hippocrates. I'm sure you know that about how all disease begins in the gut. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's also, I love the way you explained, it's like whatever we're eating, how it impacts every system but, and also looking as food as our medicine and food as our building blocks for our brains, for our, our brain, our eyeballs, our lungs, our heart and, you know, our skin. And if, if we give people that example, it'll be maybe like an aha moment. But right. the importance part, like you were saying, also is the if we can, we need to be digesting it, but also absorbing it. And that's where you probably see a lot of patients, especially those that come in, they're like, I'm eating really healthy. And, and then you do an intake and they're like, for breakfast, I have a bowl of um, Cheerios. I have nonfat milk. At lunch, I have a sandwich. Right. And at dinner, I have um, lean meat with pasta and but I have this burp up and this burning sensation all day long after I eat. Does that sound kind of typical? <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. And, what and is maybe that burning? I'm, maybe sensation? I'm taking a or working on inhibitor with that, um, or doing something to try to help, but I still don't feel well, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, and um, clearly that's not good digestion. Even even your best effort in diet. Uh, might not work if you're not digesting well. But part of the reason that person might be experiencing a digestive problem is because they are maybe sensitive to some of the food that they're eating, they don't realize it. So if I can let the cat out of the bag um, and just give a quick clinical pearl here, um, the number one reason I have seen over 20 years, this is just in my clinical experience and practice, is that um, when you're not having good digestion, I can almost always, especially in women, relate that back to dairy products. So you mentioned they're eating the fat-free dairy milk or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that I think dairy is evil or anything like that. You know, I just found that when you take it out of the diet, um, the patient almost always does better. Um, so when you talk about reflux and that burping and, and that food coming back up in some way or the constant bloating that we seem to have um, or heartburn, you know, if you're having pain somewhere. Um, a lot of it's because you're not digesting the food properly in the stomach and in the liver and the gallbladder. So the gallbladder is not able to emulsify the fat or secrete bile properly. So the food's coming back up from the stomach. It's going the opposite way. Uh, against gravity into the esophagus and causing irritation or inflammation. So if you can fix how you're digesting the food um, and you can put in food that's easier for your body to process, then it's going to go down the tube the right way and it doesn't reflux like that. So again, in my experience, dairy, 
is is one of the top culprits. So if we wanted one easy thing you could do this Wednesday, and I, and again, I hate saying this because I'm weird <laughs> in different ways, but probably I don't like dairy that much. <laughs> Personally, I know people, and I love food. I'm a total foodie, but I'm just not a huge, I never was for whatever reason. And I know how people love dairy. So it's easy for me to say, hey, avoid dairy um, because I don't like it, but that's not why I say it. I say it because of what I've seen clinically with it. And, you know, women aren't going to the bathroom for three or four days. And I know, um, Doc, you've probably had, and Fernanda, if you're working with people that with nutrition, women that don't go to the bathroom for you know, five days, eight days, mm -hmm. 10 days, that's extreme, but we've all seen that. Mm -hmm. But you know, typically maybe they're having a hard dry stool once a day or maybe every other day and they think it's normal or they're not sure if it's normal or not. Um, take the dairy out and it just like 20 years of that tends to start to relax in most patients. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I, I remember when I first got into practice, and this was back in 90, in the 90s. And yes. um, that was, I from, the, from day one that I started to see patients, I always addressed diet because my mentor taught me that. And he was an old school doc. Right. And he says, you got to clean up the diet. If you don't clean up the diet, he goes, nothing else is going to work, you know, as far as removing the pressure off the nerve because what you're putting in is impacting you know, everything and it also tightens the muscles. So dairy was number one. So the diet was pretty basic, which is now pretty much the keto, um, non-dairy keto or a paleolithic template that we were mm -hmm. prescribing to patients. We're like, all right, a lot of vegetables, limit your fruit to primarily just berries and um, clean animal proteins. You might be okay with butter stay away from the beans, stay away from the grains. And that was, that was pretty much it. No dairy. So yeah. I, I see that as well. And, and because of a lot of the hormones in of course the cows and their, and, and we just don't have the enzymes to digest it. So that's probably why you, we've seen that and you probably never even yeah. liked it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's multiple mechanisms as to why. But the bottom line down, comes down to when you take it out, you feel better. <laughs> how about, um, just just came to mind, how about fermented milk for people that are doing uh, like um, those fermented milks for uh, prebiotic purposes? Sure. Does that qualify as? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good point, Fernanda. And, and I don't think that any recommendation is absolute. So, um I would say that if I had a patient or a person is listening to this that is having some digestive issues, I would start by getting rid of all of the dairy, whether it's goat, sheep, whatever, um, fermented. Start there, do that for at least, let's just say 30 days. Mm -hmm. And then now go ahead and try that fermented dairy and see how your body responds to it. It may be just fine. So I do find there are patients who certainly tolerate dairy, um, you know, yogurts and, and different things, um, but it's really case by case. But if we have somebody who has an active digestive issue, I pull it out. You know? Dr. Matt, why is it that uh, this problem with acid reflux is becoming so common? I mean, I... I see it a couple of times a day in my practice many times, and I it, it's so... It's so common that you find these medications and these uh, advertisements, uh, you know, and, and these uh, TV shows and everything and propaganda about these medications, Pridosec and Zantac and Tom, yeah. all of these things are everywhere. But why is that such a big problem? The pill for every ill. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's, again, a lot of reasons why, but some of the top, top things would be... Um, Stress, right? So we know that if you're stressed, that's going to cause some gastritis or ulceration potentially in your stomach or your esophagus. And so when you're stressed, um, your body can't handle the normal acid production. And we have certainly right now, and I think for a long time in our culture, a lot of people that are having, um, you know, different stresses that are going on. 
So I think when you have a chronic ongoing, you know, sort of unrelenting stress, that leads to digestive difficulty. So you see the doctor and the doctor is there to try to help you. And they take out their prescription pad or you go over the counter and they say, hey, this will take care of the symptom. And that's true for a lot of people initially, but it doesn't resolve the problem. Um, you know, I think a lot of antibiotic use um, uh, attacks the good bacteria in your digestive system. Mm -hmm. So that's going to create a situation where you no longer have good soil. Like think about like a plant, you need good soil. Your stomach needs good soil. Your intestine needs good soil, particularly in the intestines. You need to have the right bacteria there. And we all have our own bacterial counts that we need when you take an antibiotic clears all that out. So many people have taken multiple antibiotics over a lifetime. And so with the use of more and more antibiotics, uh, we see yeast overgrowth and, and we see a loss of good bacteria uh, that will lead to gas, gastric problems. You know, um, Those are probably two main ones. And then of course, go back to the diet, right? Processed foods, you know, soda consumption, alcohol consumption, all the things that we know, like when you're taking the hot dog and you're putting the hot sauce on it, you know, we, we tend to do things over our life that irritate our digestive system. So then we go look for a solution and it comes in this nice little package pill. And that's why so many people are on it. Mm -hmm. you know? So I wanted to kind of expand on that because what you said about stress, because there's so much stress nowadays and from physical, chemical, emotional stress, so in essence, the stress is because our body is in a, a sympathetic or parasympathetic state, right? The sympathetic is more of a stress state. Parasympathetic is more a relaxed state. And that's the type of state we need to be in when we're eating and we're digesting food, right? Because right. if we're in that sympathetic state, it's just like, the, the some of the functions of the digestive tract are going to be downregulated and they can't work properly because a person's like eating on the go. They're yeah. eating so fast while they're driving and they're so stressed out. They're like, okay, I'm making a phone call. I'm trying to navigate where I'm going to my next appointment. And oh my gosh, I'm running late. So that's another yeah, reason. Thank you, Liz, for tying that. that in because, right, people, we don't, it's an automatic thing, your digestive system, right? That's part of the autonomic nervous system. So it, it happens. We don't think about it, we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. But when we're on the phone and busy and stressed, and um, it has an effect on our nervous system. And, and our, our, remember we said the digestive system is like your brain, and it reacts to that stress, and it will shut it down. So you're dealing with a slower digestive response, right, mm -hmm. because of stress. So that's a perfect tie-in, and people see that connection. It's like, oh, yeah, it matters that I sit down and relax and I chew on my food. Mm. And, and I chew it thoroughly. Like those are basic things, again, that I think are missed, you know, because people aren't being educated enough about what's causing the problem. And and sitting down as a family, which I know I used to do that a lot with my parents. We would all sit at the table and on and dinner was like a big ordeal. It was like, okay, we were at the table for at least an hour. Nowadays, we don't see that as much. I don't know. Do you see that in your household a lot, Fernanda? <laughs> when you have a whole year, you spend an hour with your family for dinner? So. Not an hour. Definitely not an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, and, and things have changed. And definitely, I used to have the same thing basically at home, right? And going to my grandparents' house and everybody sits in the table and nobody gets up until you finish the, the food that is in your plate. But everybody would kind of just sit and talk and converse and laugh mm -hmm. and, you know, share about the day. And that's definitely a tradition that has continued to yeah. be, um, that has changed, right. With time. And, and I'm part of the, the you know, the, the change, right. Because I don't, I don't do that. I mean, I sit with my kids every morning for breakfast and every afternoon for lunch, I do sit with them and I eat with them, but we don't spend an hour. Right. Mm -hmm. probably 20, 30 minutes at the most. And then everybody finishes and okay, you gotta go do homework. You gotta go do your laundry. I gotta right. go back to work and whatever it is. So yes, definitely. And Dr. Matt, you mentioned something that it's important, right? It's, uh, and Dr. Linda, you did too, about when you eat and the stress while you're eating. But something that I uh, heard once and I it, it created an impact on me is that the state of mind 
where you sit down to eat your food matters so much before mm -hmm. you start eating. So if you're mad or if you're anxious or if you're upset about something and you sit down and you're eating with that kind of thought in your mind, even if you are taking your time and even if you're eating healthy meals, but if you have that in your mind, then that's also affecting how you are digesting your food and how nutritious that food is for you. So it's also keeping in mind that, okay, now I have my plate, I'm going to eat. Let me bring myself back into the moment. Let me leave those emotions out and let me just enjoy this meal, right? And, and be okay. present with the food that I'm about to put in my body so it can take the best, um, be, the, be as nutritious as it can be for me, basically. So yeah, that I, I think that's so important, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think many of us do that. Right. We, don't, we, don't, we if, certainly don't take a minute to do that. Right? If, we, if we focus on that, we probably have better digestion. Right, right. So let's jump into PPI, uh, proton pump inhibitors, which are the medications most commonly used for acid reflux. What are they and how do they work? And do they even work? Yeah, I think they work for what they say that they do, um, a proton pump inhibitor basically block, you have cells in your stomach that secrete acid and you need to secrete that acid to digest your food, the protein that you eat. And um, so the, the stomach should be very acidic. That We want that. So if you remember like in chemistry class in seventh or eighth grade, you know, they said, don't touch that acid. It will burn your through your skin. Well, the acid in your stomach won't burn your stomach normally because you have a protective mucosal layer there. Your body's very smart and it's put that there to protect you. And at the same time, that acid will burn through the meat that you're eating, the protein that you're eating and break down the food. So it's a very important part of your digestive system. However, when you take a proton pump inhibitor, the job of that medication of that drug is to block the, these little pumps that are there to produce acid in your stomach. So you're blocking it. So you're becoming more alkaline in your stomach. Now we might have heard alkalinity is good, drink alkaline water, but actually in your stomach, you want the pH to be acidic, not alkaline. But when you do make it alkaline, you ask if the pill works, it does. It makes your stomach more alkaline. It does what it's intended to do, which if you have an ulcer will calm down that ulcer because that acid won't eat at the ulcer the same way, right? And so you might heal up that ulcer, but it's only meant to use for somewhere between four and eight weeks. That's what the research shows. You use a proton pump inhibitor in a situation where you really need it to alleviate pain or suffering for four to eight weeks. Um, the problem is, is that many people are taking these indefinitely. Uh -huh. And so you're blocking your your digestive system from working. Mm -hmm. um, so the pill works, but the pill also comes with side effects. Mm -hmm. right? and so one it of the things for everybody, obviously. Yeah. So one of the things with protein pumps, I wanted you if you can kind of explain this because when you take medication, it's just not specific for that because we have protein pumps and other cells in our body, and that's never um, explained to people. Can you kind of elaborate on a little yeah. bit on that? Because you know, I, I, I can speak a little bit to that. You may be able to help me out here a little bit, but I, I know that for example, when you take a proton pump inhibitor, um, it does have other impacts obviously in the body. It, it, it affects other pathways. It can affect your histamine pathways, which has to do with allergic responses. It can create uh, more permeability in the blood brain barrier to where of the proton pump inhibitors act in the brain. Um, there are some, some research that's showing that, and that can affect like um, you know, amyloid plaques or plaquing in the brain, causing different proteins to react differently in the brain. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, I, I would agree with that. Um, not Drugs don't have one mechanism. They have mm -hmm. multiple mechanisms. The, the one that they're sold for is the mechanism that they're looking for to help with whatever the symptom or condition is. Mm -hmm. But the other mechanisms, those are what would be labeled the side effects or consequences of taking that medication. Mm -hmm. And they do have uh, you know, long-reaching effects on your body. So mm -hmm. anytime you take a drug, you have that. 
I'm not sure if there's something specific there that you're also thinking about yeah. that maybe you want to share about that. Well, just because how it impacts you know, other systems in the body, there is a cascade of, of effect on when you don't have, when the stomach doesn't make enough, you know, hydrochloric acid, enough acid, because it stimulates other, other mechanisms to work, like the pancreas, gotcha. the gallbladder, the liver, and so forth. So there is right. a cascade of effects on all that. But because every cell is, um, does have, um, they do have protein pumps, um, pretty much all cells in the body with the exception of the, I believe the red blood cell. So it's going to impact other mechanisms like, you know, even nutrient uptake, um, bone health, and it's yes. just not impacting the gut. So there's other side effects. Right. Like, so in your example, uh, when you don't have enough stomach acid, that acid normally would drip down into the intestines, the upper part of the intestine, and it would tell your, um, liver, gallbladder, pancreas to actually produce more alkaline bile, for example, and you don't get that same response. So you don't get a good bile secretion uh, at times, which I find to be one of the biggest issues, not only with PPIs, but with why people are struggling to digest their food anyway, why they need a PPI. It actually doesn't have much to do with the stomach. And, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, but I would say in the majority of my patients, if we take care of their liver, their gallbladder, and we thin out their bile, um, mm -hmm. or we just you know kind of do like a little bit of a liver flush or cleanse, um, that actually will help to get rid of the digestive issue and this what is appearing to be the stomach uh, or the heartburn. Because again, the liver, I look at it like a bucket, you know, or like an oil change. So you get your oil changed every 3,000 or 5,000 miles, depending on what kind of oil you're using, and you change the filter in your car. But in your body, one of those filters, there's multiple filters, but one of them is your liver, and it's processing a lot, including these medications. And the liver fills up like a bucket over time, and it, it's not functioning at its optimal. It's not broken, but it's getting backed up. And we need to rest the liver for a while. We, we have a liver that's not functioning right. A lot of times the gallbladder gets taken out because we're making the bile too thick. Um, but you need that bile to multiply fat. You need a healthy liver to break down your food. So I find that's really the problem in, I would say, the majority of cases where you're having upper GI issues. If we look for the gallbladder and the liver, and there's some supplementation that you could use to help with that. And there are some dietary changes like we mentioned earlier with the dairy. That would usually eliminate the need for the PPI. Mm -hmm. We have been talking a little bit, of course, about side effects, potential side effects from PPIs because they have different effects on different parts of the body, not just on lowering the acidity of the stomach. And some of the ones that I have found um, probably the most common and there also have been in the media lately are cognitive function decline mm -hmm. as well as osteoporosis. Can you explain to us a little bit about what are the common side effects that you see in your practice from long-term use of PPIs and um, basically how, how does this uh, happen? Yeah. So um, what I would say is there's, I don't know all the mechanisms, but th this is what I see in practice and some of the mechanisms that I see is that one, you're going to see overgrowth of bacteria. You're not breaking down the acid, right? I mean, you're not getting enough acid to break, uh, to kill bacteria, because that's one of the functions of the acid too, actually kill bacteria that you shouldn't have uh, and keep your microbiome in check. So like C. diff infections, people have heard of that, like a hospital-acquired uh, infection with C. diff, which is a nasty infection that produces toxins. Um, Long-term outcomes, I see a lot of patients that I test for that that are showing that their body is holding on to a C. diff infection. That could be actually subacute, so it's more of a chronic infection, and this, the bacteria is putting out toxins that we can measure in stool um, uh, or urine. And so I actually see that as a long-term consequence, and so their digestion doesn't get better. The toxins from the bacteria weakens their immune system, right? So it, there's an immune weakening uh, effect of that. 
Um, when you affect the microbiome, which we know happens with these proton pump inhibitors, again, long-term use, you affect every part of the body, including the brain. So we know if your microbiome is not healthy, you can have depression. I think it's hard to link all these things necessarily, like in a single patient and say, oh, well, this must be why you have depression. But what I find is when you have a patient who's on long-term PPIs, they're generally very inflamed, right? There's a lot of inflammation in their bodies. They have a lot of pain. They have depression. They have hormonal imbalance. So they have like this, this laundry list of symptoms. And again, we started out this conversation that your digestive tract is sort of the seat of your soul, right, when it comes to your health. And so a lot of it is starting there. And over the years, because it's never getting corrected, it's like that pipe that's backed up in your house that your water doesn't drain. So all of these things are then happening as a consequence of that. So, but I would say infections, loss of bone density, um, you know, those are two really common things that I see. And just a lot of inflammation that's, that's going on. Inflammation can be affecting their heart. Um, inflammation can be affecting their joints. Uh, but those are the things that I see uh, with the long-term. And even with PPIs, they also increase the risk of cardiovascular issues because it inhibits that production of nitric oxide, which dilates the blood vessels. So you're getting enough blood circulating, um, you know, through the body. So I, that's one of the things that I have also seen. Would you care to comment on that? Is that something that you've seen also in your practice? Yeah. Well, I, when I say I've seen it, I feel like a lot of my patients in that scenario where they're on long-term PPIs do have heart conditions. Um, I don't know if it's directly a relation to them taking the PPI, although I know that that's one of the mechanisms. So we certainly could connect those dots. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of inflammation. Like that's what it comes down to. And there's probably multiple inputs as to why that person's having a cardiovascular issue. Mm -hmm. I would sort of look at it like if I could flip it around a little bit and say, if I can get a patient off a of PPI that's in that situation where they have a chronic heart issue or diabetes or you know, any of these inflammatory conditions, I know that this person is so much healthier. When I go back in and I check their cholesterol profile and I check their CRP, their inflammatory markers, and it's all getting better, right? Mm -hmm. So that to me is like, I always, when I start with a patient, I see they're on a PPI and I see they're on, you know, cholesterol, blood pressure, like the, the traditional medications, right? It's like their goal is usually, I really, you know, I wish I could get my blood pressure under control or I wish I, you know, they might have a digestive issue that they're concerned about, but they're not always saying, Hey, I want to get off my PPI. Right. But I'm saying, Hey, I want to see if you can get off your PPI because I know like you're, you're saying uh, mm -hmm. doc is that if they come off of that, all of these things are going to improve. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a systemic kind of yeah. it's a, yep. a good domino effect. You know, everything from you were saying, even just brain health, <laughs> which yeah. is huge because that is, I mean, we see so many problems down there with dementia and you can't cure that. It's like you have to prevent it. And yes, there's a lot that you can do for them, but it's almost, it's almost irreversible. And taking precautionary and preventive measures nowadays, I think is, is really the key. Prevention um, is the cure. Absolutely. So it's so important that, you know, we have docs like you that are yeah. out there educating and you, you, um, you know, you do a lot of YouTube videos, podcasts, and you probably even have a lot of classes that you probably would hold for your patients to I'm doing a webinar tonight. <laughs> awesome. You're gonna have to send us a link and we'll, we'll share it here. But, um, you know, we want to learn from you and ensure our audience and, you know, we're always learning from each other. There's no one doctor that knows everything. I mean, I'm on the phone. I was talking to one of my OBGYN friends last night as she was driving home and just having this conversation of what's going on. And, you know, we got into some patient, um, you know, clinical trials that she was talking about, she's involved with. And, and it's just, you know, it's really exciting that we can collaborate. And, you know, and, and Fernanda and I have these conversations, you know, she's a nurse and, 
you know, type of patients he sees in a hospital setting that sometimes are more acute, where you and I see right. a lot of patients that are more in a chronic situation that have yeah, tried I'm always everything. sending them over to Fernanda, like, hey, you're, <laughs> you're, you have an acute problem. You need to go now, you know? <laughs> Back to me when you're more my way. Send them my way. <laughs> yeah. To me for prevention or, or when you're really chronic, you know? Um, you know, need a defibrillator, but yeah, one, one thing I would, I appreciate the learning and the sharing here. It's, it's really nice forum and format to do that. One thing I would like to add, if I can, is that another thing that I see that leads to PPI use that I didn't mention earlier, but I think is really important and not talked about a lot mm -hmm. is actually uh, mold exposure. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of weird because, well, just to share a little bit of my story, I got sick about 15 years ago, five years into my practice. I mean, really sick, like um, worse than my patients or just as bad. And I didn't know why. I had no idea. I was eating healthy. I was working out. I mean, yeah, I had some stress, but it wasn't like anything mind-blowing, you know. Um, but I just couldn't pinpoint why that was happening. Turned out I worked in a building that had pretty bad mold. Mm. And um, so anyway, it took me a number of years to actually, I couldn't find any doctor who knew anything about it or how to help me. And I didn't know that's what it was because you couldn't see it. It wasn't even visible. Okay. I'm breathing in all this mold toxin and I'm getting sicker by the day. I can't digest my food. Um, I developed a gluten allergy, uh, which I never had before. I didn't have celiacs. I couldn't eat. I mean, I, I didn't eat anything that I used to eat. And again, I was eating pretty healthy before that. So long story short, it took me a while and, and I did find the right doctor to help me. And then I got trained myself because like what I realized was I was dealing, I'm sure you deal with a lot of patients who have digestive issues because when it comes to functional medicine, it tends to be a, an entry point for patients. And I, I had a practice called enzyme replacement, replacement nutrition where I was actually, that's what I was doing, was helping with digestive issues. But also I was treating a lot of patients with Hashimoto's, with, with mm -hmm. uh, acute thyroiditis. And after I recovered, I actually connected it and I saw that the mold, if I look at all my patients who did not respond to the diet, who didn't respond to the supplementation, whatever treatments we were doing to help them. So you know that patient that you have, that you're doing everything that, that's in the book that, that, you're, that you know, and then it's just not, it's not hitting the mark. Um, I looked back and I contacted all those patients and I asked them if I can test them for mold exposure and they were happy and obliged I did that. And 85% of those patients had mold exposure ongoing. Wow. And when the ones that were able to rectify and change their environment and, um, you know, we had to do some different treatments, it got better. And so now whenever I approach a patient who comes in and says to me, I have a digestive issue, I always, always, always ask about not only their current environment, but their past environment. Mm -hmm. uh, were, were you a teacher? Did you work in an old school building? Um, you know, did you work in a government building? Were you in the military? Did you live in a home? Did you live in an apartment? Did it smell musty? And I, you know, I make that part of my survey, and then if I think it's important, I'll, I'll go after it. So, um, just want to throw that in there when, it, when a person is not responding. Mm -hmm. A lot of people um, that are complaining of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which I think just, you know, relates to this topic. Um, again, I find the reason they're not getting better with multiple treatment efforts is because there is a, either a past or current exposure. That's a huge clinical pearl. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's that's amazing that because you went through that and a lot yeah. of times all of <laughs> us and Fernanda has her story too. It's just like, you know, she was on medication. She she can tell you the story better, but we sometimes have to go through something ourselves in our own health so that we can really help and serve others and and we know we can say i know what you're going I know, through but i wish that didn't have to happen like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like every doctor you talk to that's like you know in our field right it's like, at some point like well let me tell you my story it's like really and i remember when i first started in practice the first five years i didn't have a story yeah i didn't have a story i i, I felt good i always felt healthy my whole life i never had anything to speak of and to be quite honest i mean i had empathy i felt like i did but when patients came in, there were times where I'm sort of like, 
I don't understand why you don't feel good. Like I, you know, if you just change your diet, there are reasons that people don't feel well. Right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, sometimes we just have to, we got to live it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Matt, just briefly, I do want to touch on H. pylori and the connection to acid reflux, because it's something that I have also seen increasing uh, nowadays. And I see it in young people like early 20s all the way up to like people in their 80s so it is becoming more common and of course um the symptoms sometimes mimic right uh just simply acid reflux so yeah what's the relationship what's the correlation between acid reflux and h pylori well first of all you need acid to kill bacteria right so you might have an infection and you might produce more acid to try to knock that h pylori infection down it's possible, but it also that can burn your stomach. So they use proton pump inhibitors to actually try to fight H. pylori with, along with an antibiotic. And that can be helpful for some people. But I think often that treatment falls mm-hmm. short you know, when you have someone that's, again, not responding after a couple of weeks of therapy. And um, H. pylori, again, you're coming back to stress response. You're coming back to a weakening of the immune system. We all have H. pylori, like in our systems. So I, I think of it as like the canary in the coal mine. When your H. pylori pops up, it's because your immune system can't keep it down. Normally it would keep that down. Mm-hmm. So it's about strengthening your immune system, strengthening your digestive system. And you can treat H. pylori with some natural herbs and things like that instead of always using antibiotics. Um, but I think a lot of times that H. pylori leads to the proton pump inhibitor because it's causing problems in the digestive tract, right? So if we just treat the H. pylori, then we don't have to use the PPI a lot of time, right? What tests do you like to use for for H. pylori? Do you use the GI map or? Yeah, I tend to use a lot of GI map, um, breath test, you know, for H. pylori, um, so stool testing, right? To see if it's, if it's there and if it's in high levels. Um, and I think a really good, you know, patients will come to you and tell you they have it based on an endoscopy that they had also, right? But if we're looking for kind of a hidden one, um, I find the symptoms to be very helpful, quite honestly. So I do like to test, but I also like to listen to what the patient's saying. So if they're belching and burping a lot, um, that's a really good sign of H. pylori. If they're chronically bloated, if they have a history of H. pylori, like a previous history where they know they've had it before, um, and then I'll, I'll use the, um, uh, what is it called? The, um, designs for health product, um, H, uh, HP mend, uh, am I saying it right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm mm-hmm. drawing my mic on it, but, yes. um, I find that to work really well with the mastic gum. Mm-hmm. So I'll usually do like a 30 day trial or something like that and, and see, you know, how they respond. Um, but the, yeah, I'll use the GI map test. I just don't find it always picks it up. Okay. And Dr. Matt, just to finish up uh, with all of this amazing conversation, and I'm learning so much, we like to do things naturally, and we like to recommend, uh, you know, the best solutions that anybody can take just naturally to improve any type of symptoms. So what would be the best recommendation, natural recommendations that you can give us for someone who's experiencing acid reflux type symptoms uh, currently? Yeah. Well, of course, it depends somewhat on the mechanism, right? So notwithstanding that, I think someone should see a doctor. Um, and so they can talk about it like we're talking about it now and figure out, you know, why might they have this problem? That's the most important thing. But okay, I'll entertain. Um, so like, um, you know, gastromend HP, if I think I have H. pylori, is a very safe and uh, effective way to start a treatment regimen, okay? Um, Another thing I would do with reflux, I really like aloe, like the fractionally distilled aloe water. I use a lot of that because it soothes the stomach lining. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times um, when you're having these problems, it's because your mucosal lining is not healthy. Remember we talked earlier about there's a mucosal lining that protects your stomach. So we wanna build up that mucosal lining. So there are products like glutamine that can help mm-hmm. to build up that lining. Um, you can use aloe. So I like to use a lot of those things. 
um, you know, uh, marshmallow root, not campfire marshmallows. <laughs> um, there's actually marshmallow root, which tends to soothe. Um, so that's all the stuff that can I help like the lining of the, the gut. But then I like to use a lot of uh, liver and gallbladder support. I really find that, uh, like I said earlier, that's, that's at the root of a lot of the issues. So sometimes it's a combination of these things that works. And some people also are aggravated by some of these things. So that's why I think it, it's important to know what you're doing because a patient will or a person will go online and try something. And, and I'm all for that, except they try something and maybe it's not done properly. And then they think, oh, that doesn't work. Then they wind up on a PPI because it didn't work but because we didn't apply it properly. So, but I'll use like a lot of like bitter formulas. Mm -hmm. So one that I like a lot is a company called Quicksilver. You probably are familiar mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. um, and they have like a couple of different bitters. And bitters, like you think about alcohol, when you drink, people put bitters in their alcohol because it soothes the liver and the kidneys. Mm -hmm. Those are part of helping your elimination. So that tends to help a lot with digestion. So I'll use that. And I also like from Designs for Health, um, the LVGB, which you probably use as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's a liver gallbladder support that thins out the bile. So it improves digestive function and it prevents the reflux uh, for a lot of patients. So those are some of my favorite ones. Wonderful. So, Annette, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. So, in essence, you, you probably would recommend, because I know a lot of people will go online and they Google, you know, they Google something. And I kind of, I kind of explain to people, it's just like, well, you have all the ingredients, but if they're not, you know, if they're not placed in the right order and baked at the right temperature, right. you're not going to get the outcome. And that's the importance of seeing practitioners like, you know, like us, because we can at least, we're there to listen and we've seen this so much and we have a systematic approach and helping patients and you know, sometimes the frustration is like you said, oh, I tried that and it didn't work. But there isn't yeah. just one mechanism. There's there's quite a few. that. Right. And I have news for you. I've tried things on patients that didn't work, too. Right. <laughs> so and, it's, and that's that helped me to with that particular patient to say, oh, OK, I see why it's not working, though. I have the the expertise to know why it's not working. Let's do this. This is going to work right? Mm -hmm. Because now we know why. But if you're just taking it by yourself, unfortunate, and it's not expected for you to know, but you don't understand why it's not working in a lot of cases. So it's hard to get the right result. I mean, if, if, if it was so simple, right, then I mean, I would just help every patient on the first visit. And I'd be, you know, like, okay, I on the first visit, you're all done. I never need to see you again. <laughs> it's not you have to work through with a patient, the right solution for that person, right? So I, I, you know, I don't think we can get away from it. People are going to be online. They're going to be purchasing stuff. I mean, even doctors like ourselves sell things online, like, you know, their protocols and people purchase them. And I have patients that call and say, you know, I'm doing such and such doctor's protocol and like, but I don't feel good. And it's like, well, you're not doing it right because you, you went out of order. You did the protocol, which was, probably pretty good, but you didn't need that one product. Mm -hmm. You needed more of this one or never change the dairy, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, it's getting it all right. So I, I, I support people trying. Um, I always like when patients come in that have already tried stuff because mm -hmm. that gives me information, right? Like, Oh, what mm -hmm. do you have at work? Okay. That already tells me something about what's going on. So, um, but you know, it's probably in people's best interest to just, get help right and dr matt if anybody wants to uh, schedule a consultation with you see you as a patient where can they find you so my website um and thank you for asking fernanda is uh dr matt in tampa so just spell out doctor spell it all the way out and then matt i n tampa.com so dr matt in tampa um i do virtual consults so um, I'm seeing patients now all over the country, which is fun. Um, and my, I've tried to make it really easy for people. Um, if they go to like, there's a scheduling tab somewhere there and they can go to the bottom. My fees are listed. 
you can click, you can schedule your own appointment, you'll get your paperwork, and then I magically show up at your appointment time, just like we're <laughs> doing now. It's really cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how they can do it. Wonderful, wonderful. And what's the webinar that you're doing later tonight? So tonight I'm doing an, um, my Dr. Matt's super immune protocol. Ooh. And yeah, and uh, so I'm gonna just talk a little bit about um, how to boot, keep your immune system strong. Um, obviously, talk a little bit about COVID and what to do. Um, and yeah, so, and with that, I actually have like a free program for people. So if they want, like, I'll give them a, uh, an app that they can use where they can, um, basically have the diet and, and have a tracking mechanism for the diet that I recommend for, for their immune health. Is the information on your website? No, it's not. Okay. Um, so I can send you something, a link or that whatever. That would be perfect. Um, and we can post it on our page. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's going to yeah. be at 7 o'clock tonight, uh, Eastern. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much, Doc. We just wanted to ask you, you know, what is one thing that you are grateful for today? That's a great question. I mean, I have so much to be grateful for. I truly am grateful for this conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. You guys are um, really nice to talk to, and, and I'm glad that we met. Um, I'm, I, you know, in my life, it's my kids, right? You know, my family. So, you know, with all this COVID, I've gotten to be, I like to be outdoors, but I've gotten to be at home more. And so in that way, you know, I know it's been tough for some people, um, but in that way, it's been very, very good for me to be home more with my kids. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really also uh, appreciate you so much and Dr. Linda and this episode, so informative, so relevant to everything that's going on with the stress and stress management, the way that we're eating and also such a common condition. So thank you so much for your time. And um, to all of the audience, thank you for tuning in and being involved and investing in yourselves and your health. So with that, we will let you all go. And uh, of course, don't forget that we meet next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and we will have another great conversation with a phenomenal guest. Yep. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Have a good Bye. day. Bye-bye.